This morning, I am glad you're here because we're starting a brand new message series, and it's called You've Got to Be Kidding. <laughs> and uh, the, the, what we're doing with this is we're going to look at some of the really shocking statements that Jesus made that would catch people by surprise. And in particular, throughout this series, we're looking at things that he said um, in the Gospel of Matthew. There's, there's a lot of things that Matthew uh, was there to witness, dialogues that he heard and he wrote them down. And Jesus would say things that just seemed really bold and audacious. Sometimes it was confusing, sometimes it was troubling, and generally it was completely life-changing what Jesus said. And I think uh, you'll see that with, with some of these really hard-to-believe statements, Jesus was calling us to something that's a, a really different kind of life. And uh, so throughout this series, we'll, we'll look at some of these shocking statements, and you might feel a little bit uncomfortable. And, you know, you might find yourself responding with, like, Jesus, like, you got to be kidding. Like, <laughs> Like, some of the, he said things that were so un, unreasonable. He'd be like, hey, shouldn't, shouldn't we tell Jesus that what he's saying is just, it's really unreasonable. And, uh, you know, we should, we should let him know. Or, or you'll hear mess, these messages, and you might see the value in guiding your entire life by his words. So I'm excited to jump into this. Um, again, we're in, the, we're in the Gospel of Matthew throughout this series. And th- th- this set of messages is going to be especially helpful for anybody that is searching for something in your life. Maybe right now you, you, you sense a need, or, or maybe even you'd, you might even call it a longing for something very important in your life, and you might find Jesus' words resonating with you. Maybe you know something's missing. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe you're not even totally sure, but you're, you're lacking some, some kind of completeness. You're, you don't feel totally whole, and maybe that generates some anxiety or maybe it generates some frustration, and really what you long for is some, some peace in life, or some joy, or, or just some assurance. And so this, this series is going to be especially helpful for anybody that falls in that category. And the passage that we're going to read today is from Matthew chapter 19, and it's a story that is sometimes referred to as the rich young ruler. And uh, this, there's this young man that came up to Jesus in the middle of a time when he was interacting with people and teaching. Actually, it was right after Jesus was um, uh, hanging out with little kids, and, and people brought kids to him. And then this young guy comes up to Jesus, and he, did, he, had, he had a sense of longing as well. This young man had something that he was concerned about, and it was eternity. He was concerned about life after death and what was coming next. And so... In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Just then someone came up and asked him, asked Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? So he's, he's concerned about eternity. And this is a really great question to ask the one who happens to be eternal life. <laughs> so he, came, he actually came to the right source at the right time, but, this, but he had no idea who he was talking to. This, this young man had no idea that he was looking for eternal life and standing in front of the only path to heaven. It was like standing right in front of him. It's amazing. So while some people would sometimes test and criticize Jesus, and they'd ask him questions, they'd ask him hard questions to try to trick Jesus, but this, this person comes with a genuine question, genuinely seeking eternal life, and he's motivated by a need of true spiritual hope. 
he probably had some notion of the fires of hell that might possibly await him after he dies, and so he wanted to get this sorted out. And if you met somebody like this today, like this young guy, you might think, oh man, this person's ready to commit their lives to Christ. Like he comes up saying like, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And if you, if you met somebody like that on the airplane or at, at Phil's coffee shop, or you're, you know, you're just standing in line somewhere and says like, what do, what do I need to do? You'd be like, I'm about to see a convert. <laughs> like this is, this is exciting. And uh, Jesus could have responded in the same way. He could have said, well, praise the Lord. Well, what you need to do is you need to pray this prayer of faith and you repeat after me and we'll, we'll just, we'll sign. But Jesus didn't respond that way. He, he had a few more questions. He knew this person wanted eternal life, but he wanted to slow it down. And so Jesus says something that's kind of confusing. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. This first part of this response seems to hint at the fact that Jesus knew he was God, but this man did not realize that he was God. And so Jesus kind of alluding to this very important missing detail. But he says, this, he says keep the commandments. If you, want to, if you want to have eternal life, keep the commandments. And basically, it's like saying, hey, you're a devoted Jew. You grew up in the synagogue. You, you know the scriptures well. Why are you asking me what you should do to have eternal life? You, go, you know God's law, go do it, then you'll be good. And if you're a seasoned Christian and you've been around church for a long time, you might, this answer might be kind of troubling to you because, first of all, Jesus doesn't seem to take advantage of this man's obvious readiness to make a decision. And then Jesus seems to be teaching righteousness by works, meaning like you, have to, you can earn your salvation by doing enough good things. Well, what Jesus is really doing is he's drilling down to the heart. He's asking some questions, and, and this man's heart is about to get exposed in a pretty brutal way. He doesn't know what's coming. And so he says, keep the commandments, and the young man says, which ones? I mean, this, this person probably, maybe he's thinking, I've, I've read the commandments many times. In fact, I have them all memorized. <laughs> You know, I, since I was a small boy, I know what the law says. I know about Moses and the tablets and all this stuff. I've, I've kept these commands ever since I was a kid. How, how could I have possibly missed anything? So which, which commandments do you have in mind that I need to get eternal life? And Jesus responded, and he quotes five of the Ten Commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and then he throws in the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So he, gives, he, he throws out six aspects of the law. These are sometimes like the easier ones, actually, because um, the guy probably never murdered anybody. So, you know, it's like, all right, so keep these. And uh, as the young man is listening, he's probably thinking, you know, I, I know. I've, I've heard those a hundred times. I've, he says, in fact, he says, I've kept all these. The young man told him, what do I still lack? And the problem with this statement, I have kept all these, is that the, the, the young man thinks he's sinless. He thinks that since, a kid, he's, since he was a young man that, or a young boy, he's been perfect, and he has never once broken God's law. And in a certain sense, maybe it's true. Maybe he never murdered anybody. Maybe he never committed adultery. But he didn't realize that even if you sin one time, and even if it's a small one inside your heart that nobody else knows about, 
maybe just a moment of envy or a lustful thought or a flash of bitterness. If you do one little sin, then you're guilty of breaking the whole thing, every, every part of the law. And you, in that moment, you fall short of God's standards. Yeah, this is, so he doesn't seem to know that. He thinks, no, I'm good. I've lived a good life. I'm a good person. Like, me and God are cool, as far as I know. And we're good. So I've kept all these. But Jesus, finally, he goes straight to the heart. It boils up to this moment. He gets exposed here. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect. And that word perfect, it sometimes is translated complete. It's a synonym for salvation. Basically, if you want to be made eternally whole and complete, then Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this is the first part of this story where we, where we have this phrase, Jesus, sell everything? you got to be kidding. <laughs> like is, this might have been his react. This this is the first. We'll, we'll get to another moment in a second where we have the same response. But like you got to be kidding. Like sell everything. This was not probably not what he was expecting to hear. But what Jesus did is he put his finger right on the man's wealth. This happened to be the most valuable thing in his life. Jesus must be Lord. Must be sovereign. The sovereign King and ruler over all parts of our lives. But the real king in this man's life was his wealth and his stuff, his good, comfortable living. And when Jesus said this, this wasn't a prescription for all people. This isn't necessarily a command that we all have to do in order to be saved, like go sell everything and give it all to the poor. It's, it's not that every Christian must do that, although it is generally a good idea. <laughs> we probably could do more of that. This, this was a command that was tailored to this person because it was the ultimate test of whether he would be willing to obey the Lord. And for most of us, I think there is something that stands between us and Jesus. And maybe it was something when we were younger and we got that dealt with, or maybe there's something still. There's like something in our hearts, some desire or goal or sin or something there that we're reluctant to give up in order to be fully and completely devoted to Jesus. And so the question we must continually ask is, have I surrendered everything? And for this young rich ruler, it happened to be his possessions and his stuff, but for us, it could could be something different. It doesn't necessarily have to be your money, it could be. But have I surrendered everything? And if Jesus asks me to give it up, am I prepared to do that? So one of the things I noticed about this story, first of all, is that extreme devotion to Jesus is required. It's really, it doesn't seem to me in this story that mild devotion is something that Jesus is all that interested in. <laughs> or maybe like um, fuzzy feeling devotion. <laughs> no, it's, it's really, he just, it's just extreme. It's just, in, it's, it's level 10 intense in how high our devotion has to be to Jesus. It's required. And you, and you think, man, is that Jesus, is that really that necessary? Could I sell, like, maybe some of my stuff? <laughs> Could I give, like, to the poor a little bit? Like, no, he said everything. you got to be kidding. And I wonder, you know, for some of us, maybe there's a similar heart tie to maybe the money and the possessions. I think maybe in our day right now, one other thing that came to mind is maybe, like, a, an obstacle in Santa Clarita, like, in 2024, is our schedule of time is so busy. 
and people are constantly, you know, we have so many, we have so much things on our schedules and on our weekends, we're packed, running from thing to thing, and um, it can be hard, it can be hard to figure out how to prioritize time. And sometimes, one of the really, really hard things that would be for a person in our day and age would be to change our schedule around so that Jesus had top priority. And that could be like daily time with him, it could be like a stake in the sand for me going to church on Sunday morning or me committing to being a part of the body of Christ in a small group and like, imagine, I don't know for you what you think, but what if, what if you completely changed your schedule around so that all things Jesus and Jesus' body, the church, were top priority and everything else fell around that? For some, that would be a really, that would be a really hard, that'd be like a sell everything moment, like make, make him the Lord of my entire schedule. That'd be really hard. It almost feels invasive. Like, man, like, it's too extreme. That's just, you're talking way too extreme. And, uh, but here, 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 this is an extreme story. And when Jesus looks at this young man, um, Jesus wasn't being rough and impatient. In fact, the, the story that shows up in Mark, uh, in this version of the story, it says that Jesus felt a love for him. So there, there's some compassion welling up inside Jesus that, and actually Jesus may have even been thinking about that coming moment, that approaching moment where he'd be hanging on the cross to pay for the sins of that young guy. He's like, no, I, I really, I love this person. And I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus even offered this man to become his disciple when he said, come and follow me. That was a call to discipleship, which probably didn't even register in his mind because he's still reeling from the, like, the sell everything part. But Jesus said, you can be one of my disciples. Wow, that's amazing. So what happens is, how does the young guy respond? This is it's a tragedy. So some stories are exciting, and this one's a tragedy. And so in verse 22, it says, Young man heard that, he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. Probably what went through his mind is, what you're asking is too much. It's unrealistic. It's either I can't, or I won't, I don't know how to. Whatever the answer was, it was too much. And he probably was torn, though, because the fact that he was grieving and sad, it probably was like, oh, I think that's right, but I don't know if I want to do that. You know, like, I do want to obey, but his heart was so wrapped around that thing that he wanted. He was internally conflicted, it seems. And in the end, his desires, the desires of his heart, went out. And so he missed out, not just on discipleship, but on salvation. And he walked away from Jesus. We also have really strong desires that lodge deep within our hearts. We're, you know, that's what it, sort of what it means to be human. We just, we have really, we have things we care an awful lot about. Things we would be very, very sad and grieved to give up. And it's, it really is okay to have strong desires. It's really okay to hope and pray for good things in life and to enjoy even the wealth that God gives us. But the problem, so the problem's not having strong desires. The issue is who's in charge? Is Jesus truly Lord of all? What if, what if Jesus came and he said, leave everything for me? So extreme devotion, I, what I gather from this is not only is it required, but it's also painful. This kind of devotion that Jesus is requiring is painful. There have been times when 
I'm, uh, th a, thought, a thought crosses my mind. Haven't I sacrificed enough yet? <laughs> I, don't know you, I don't know if you've ever thought that. Like, come on, I, I do a lot of good stuff. I'm like a good Christian, okay? Like, I give and I'm involved. Like, and as I, as, I, as I walk along with Jesus, I, I sometimes encounter a new thing that he wants me to give up. Like, that too? <laughs> you want me to give up more? Sometimes it's giving away more money, or sometimes it's giving up more of my free time. Sometimes it's investing in a person or, or an opportunity. Sometimes, sometimes he uncovers sins that were so deep in my heart that I didn't even know they were there. Last year, um, about a year ago, God revealed some bitterness that was pretty deep in my heart towards a person, and I, I didn't even know that. And it was through reading the book of Colossians that God exposed that to me and humbled me. It was a really painful process for me to, to confess, repent of of doing that. And, and sometimes, sometimes this sacrifice required for following Jesus, it feels like major surgery with no anesthetic. Oh, man. And so this, this question that sometimes comes to mind is like, haven't I sacrificed enough yet? Apparently not. <laughs> I, I haven't quite got to the end of it yet. I, there still seems to be a lot more that I, I have yet to sacrifice. And I don't know if you have ever thought about this word, sacrifice, but when you think about the Old Testament or times when they, they would actually kill animals, a sacrifice, really, what it means is to kill something or to destroy something. Sacrifice really implies a destruction or a surrender or a painful loss in order to gain something. And that's, that's part of what it is like to hang with Jesus. And I want to jump to verse 27 there's some really amazing things he says in the verses in between that I encourage you to look at at a later time. But I want to jump to 27 because Peter, one of Jesus' guys, is watching all this happen, and he responds. And it says, um, Peter responded to him, said, See, we've left everything and followed you. We have left everything. And I don't think Peter's bragging. You know, it, it, could be, it could be a brag, but I, I, I think it's an honest statement. He's like watching this all play. He's like, like, Jesus, we left everything. And I just watched that guy walk away. And I, I know that struggle. I've lived that struggle. And Peter says, we left everything. And that, that, that includes more than material possessions and money, which the rich young ruler was dealing with. When Peter says, we left everything, it was even more. They left their homes, relationships, careers. They left, they left quite a lot. So he's, he's not joking. And so he says, we left everything. The next thing he says, he's got a question for Jesus is, so what will there be for us? And it seems like this could be a self-serving statement. Like, Jesus, I left everything for you. You owe me. It's time to pay up. Like, where's, where's, my, where's my, my goodies? And, uh, I don't, but I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the attitude behind this question. And Jesus doesn't correct him for it either, so I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I think Peter's asked, saying, hey, we, we gave up everything. Is it worth it? I really want to know. But of course Peter would say, like, no, I, I know it's worth it. Like, you are the Christ. You are life. Where else will we go? But Jesus, is there anything else you can share with us to help us understand this big picture of sacrifice? Because it would really help me know if it's going to be worth it. 
And Jesus responds, and he says, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's a lot of historical and cultural context packed into that. What you need to know, that this, this is an eternal reward that would have blown their minds. This is, this is like off the charts, out of the ballpark, amazing. The reward, like, like it answered the question very quickly, yes, it is beyond worth it. Like the sacrifice feels like just pebbles in comparison to the reward that's coming. So I, I won't explain all of what that means culturally and historically, but um, the reward's gonna be good, is the answer. And so if there's any doubt, the answer is yes. But then Jesus opens up the rewards to us as well. So what he just said was for this, just the 12 disciples. <clears throat> and he says, now this applies to you and me. If, you, if you're a follower of Christ, this applies to you. He says, and everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So you'll notice here again is the call to leave everything. Right at the beginning of verse 29, it says everyone who has left. It's like saying like, leave everything for me. So extreme devotion, which really is not an option, it's required. Extreme devotion to Jesus may result in us leaving things behind that are very, very important to us. Like, even family members? Like, my mother? Like, that's intense. Like, this, so this is the next moment where people are like, Jesus, you got to be kidding. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, can someone please tell Jesus how unrealistic this is? This is crazy. Like, wow, are you serious? Like, man, they got to leave family members? Like, leave houses? Houses are high value. House represents beyond just wealth. It also represents stability and comfort, like fields. Leaving fields could refer to jobs, careers, like your livelihood. Just, I mean, it's just kind of like total. He's covering all the bases here. And this call to leave everything is very shocking. It's very hard to believe. But did you notice the promise of reward? It's a combo. There's a combination reward. It's 100 times whatever you left plus eternal life. The math on that is a little boggling. But, you know, the, the promise, actually, I think the promise of reward is just as shocking as the command to leave everything. And as far as the timing goes on when we get rewarded, sometimes you wonder, like, okay, when, when does that even start rolling in? In Mark, we see a little, Jesus explain a little bit more. It comes now. Some, we get some of it now in this life. And then the rest in heaven. So it's not, it's not even like you have to even wait till you die. You actually start getting some of the blessing rolling in now. And so if, if you leave something behind of great value to yourself, and you make a sacrifice for the sake of Jesus' name, and for the sake of the gospel, Jesus says you'll get 100 times more. So what, what, what could that look like? I mean, I was thinking, like, so, so if, you, if I left behind a house, what would it mean to get 100 times that? I mean, what do I get, 100 houses? <laughs> I, mean, probably, I mean, probably not, 100 physical houses. But what, what is it that a house represents? 
I mean, it represents, like again, like stability and comfort and peace and a place to grow a family. Whatever, whatever is the value of that, you just get dumped on way more whatever are the good things. Or what about if he says, if you leave behind a mother or a father, you get 100 times more. So like, do you get 100 moms <laughs> and 100 dads? Like, I don't know if you even want that. Um, you know, but, but think about the value of those relationships. What is it that a mother, a godly mother, does for you? What does a godly father do for you? How does God work through those family relationships? He says, whatever, you, whatever blessings you get from those, you're going to get 100 times that. Like, you'll be overwhelmed with the godly family and the people that bring, God brings around. So what I notice is not only is extreme devotion to Jesus required and very painful, but it is worth it. It absolutely is worth it. I've thought about this a little bit when it comes to our family. Uh, one tender spot for us is when we think about our kids and our friend, like the friends of our kids, because, um, you know, every parent wants, you want your kids to get around good people, right? Especially good influences, all that. And when we left um, Stone Arbor Church, where Bryce currently is at, who led worship for us today, um, when we left that church, we left a rich church community where there were dozens of kids for every age level of our kids. It was like a greenhouse of the kinds of friendships you would want your kids to have. It was like it was like a thriving environment, and we left it. And and our the amount of kid friends that our kids have right now is very very small. And what we're doing is we're determined to trust God to bring the return. And we haven't seen the hundred times roll in yet, but I do believe in some way God is going to bring the reward for us and for our kids for the sacrifice. We just got to keep trusting him, though. And as it relates to us receiving a rich spiritual family, I have seen that already. The, the more that my wife Erin and I walk with God and prioritize the kingdom, not just here at Valley Lights, but, you know, in our growing faith, even in our previous church, the, the more we've walked with God, the more we feel united to the family of God. There are rich, meaningful, life-giving relationships with people that are like fathers to me and mothers to us and brothers and sisters. There's, and even aunts and uncles for our kids. And you know, this, we, we begin to experience this in the greater family of God. And even when we travel, sometimes we'll, we'll meet people that feel like close family members, even though we never met them before. People who can encourage our spirits or share in our sorrows, or people that can meet our needs. And it's the family of God. And, and so I've, we've begun to see some of the reward roll in but the main idea, I think, from this passage is that we sacrifice deeply, those of us who are under Jesus, we sacrifice deeply, and we will not be disappointed in the end. We will see that it will not, it will not be a ripoff. It will be worth it. So the rich young ruler, of course, he walked away, and he walked away sad, and he had no idea that the blessing would completely overwhelm him if he would have just let go. He could have traded that grief and that sadness for unbelievable joy and peace. A concern that comes up, maybe for him and, and for some of us here today, is there's a concern. When you do actually put your mind in this thought of like, I'm going I'm to I'm sacrifice. I'm just going to press ahead for Jesus. I'm going to give things up. A concern is, 
I'll be last. If I do that, I'll come in last place. Like everyone around me is getting what they want. People are pursuing the things that I see and I want that stuff too. Good things are happening to them and I'm going to be last. If I sacrifice for Jesus, I'm going to end up in last place. Sacrifice feels like it's setting us back. It feels like maybe it's setting our kids back. And I think that's part of why Jesus tags at the very end of this statement. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. The people that seem like they're running ahead in first place in life and winning all this stuff, many of them will, will end up in last place and they don't know it. And some who are just waiting for God to bring the blessing will end up in the front of the line. So Jesus turns that concern on his head. So what we got to do is we got to leave it. We got to trust Jesus and hold on and wait. He will be good to his followers. There was one historic runner who got to experience this in a very real way. Eric Little was a Scottish runner who went to Paris to compete in the Olympics back in, can you go to the next slide real quick? Um, he, was, he lived from 1902 to 1945. Okay, you can go back. Um, so he went to Paris to compete in the Olympics and his best event was running the 100 meters. He was incredibly fast, especially short distances. And the Olympic event, his event was scheduled on a Sunday. And at that time, he had a very, very strong convictions that Sunday was the Sabbath, and you, you don't do work and um, competitions and things. Like, set, Sunday needs to be set aside for God, for, for rest and reflection and worship, rather than recreation or work. And so that was his conviction. And so he's like, well, my event's on Sunday. I can't run on Sunday. So he withdrew from the Olympic race, and since he wasn't there, his English rival, Harold Abrams, took gold instead. And so, man, he, he just gave it up. He sacrificed it. People are like, you're, like, you're foolish. Like, just run. Like, God will forgive you. Like, it's not even that big of a deal. But no, they, people who knew this guy knew that they weren't going to change his mind. His convictions were rock solid. And so a few months before the Olympics, he started working on the 400 meters, which is a little bit longer. And um, he, he didn't have very impressive times on the 400. And it was on a weekday, though. The Olympics posted the schedule. And he's like, well, I can run this one. It's on a weekday. And he broke the world record three times in two days. <laughs> and uh, his final event, um, it, there's a thrilling final race, which you can you actually find on YouTube. He sprinted into an early lead, held the win and then set a European record that stood for 12 years and got the gold medal in an event he wasn't even good at. <laughs> so, so it turns out, and he says, he has this statement. He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's amazing. He won Olympic gold, but that didn't even matter that much to him. Here's what he said. After, after he got, he's got a gold hanging around his neck, he says, it's been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games, but since I've been a young lad, I've had my eyes on a different prize. This is a quote. He says, you see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I've run in Paris, and this race ends when God gives out the medals. So he was grateful for the gold, but he, he was after something much different in life. So this is a guy, you know, he's, he, his devotion was extreme. It's like, this is so unrealistic how devoted you are. 
And, um, it, you know, I'm not, I don't tell this story because, uh, you know, you have to have the same convictions about sporting events on Sundays. But certainly, we could imitate the way he, un, he was undeniable in um, who was his boss, who was in charge of his life, even at great cost to himself. Um, although there are, there are quite a few sporting events that do conflict with church on Sundays. And, uh, you know, that kind of commitment might be something to consider, actually. You know, prioritizing church at that level, there'd probably be good things that come from that. Um, he later became a missionary to China, and he helped many people experience Christ. Um, and uh, his, his, like, tenacity for, for sharing Christ didn't slow down even when he was imprisoned in a Japanese POW camp in World War II. Um, throughout his whole life, he was incredibly devoted. All the while, people would talk about his radiant joy, his good humor, just love for life. He was a very blessed man. So when we look at this story, um, Eric, Eric Little and then also this passage in Matthew 19, I would encourage you to identify the thing that's standing between you and extreme devotion to Jesus. There may not be something. There may be something. I don't know. If you're here today, God wanted you here for some reason. And perhaps during this message, God may have brought something to mind that is acting as a blockage in your total commitment to Christ. Would you consider yourself extreme in your devotion to Jesus? Like, would you say, like, no, I'm, I'm off the charts extreme. I am devoted. Would you describe yourself that way? Or could you join with Peter and declare to Jesus wholeheartedly, Lord, I have left everything for you, and I followed you. And so if you're, if you're wrestling with something, if something has come to mind and you're wrestling with it, remember that while you wrestle, Jesus looks on, not, not with crossed arms, ready to slap you across the face. No, he doesn't. He looks on with compassion, like he did the rich young ruler. Jesus knows we wrestle. He does require total devotion, but he will not force it on you. He didn't force the young man to come submit. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't sit there demanding it. Jesus loves you, and he proved his love for you by shedding his blood on the cross to pay for your sins. Some of the sins that we're pretty eager to hide. So if, if you're wrestling with this, and you, if you do want to make a change, let's say you want to identify that thing. There's something standing in between you and total devotion. Let somebody know about it. Why don't you tell a friend from church? Or um, you could talk to me. I'm, I actually love these conversations, but I'm kind of intimidating, you know, because I'm the pastor, I guess. But, but I, you know, you, you could talk to me too. But I would say the point is talk to somebody. Talk to somebody about what you're wrestling with. And especially if you want to make a decision, I'm going, to, I'm going to put it all on the table. Let somebody know that. Perhaps you're here and you've, you've already done that. You've already put everything on the table for the sake of Jesus' name. If you, if you love Jesus, then you love his body. And right now, you are sitting among the body of Christ, the church. And so another next step that might be a possible uh, next step for you would be to take a step of deeper commitment to church. Church is, after all, the body of Christ. If we're devoted to him, we ought to be devoted to his body. And one of the ways that you can do this is by becoming a member of Valley Lights. And so during our announcement time, you heard there's a membership class coming up where you get to learn what that even means. Maybe you don't have any experience with what does it mean to be a member. 
I'll boil it down in the most simple way. A member is somebody that says, I'm committed to this group. You can count on me. I will help move the ball down the field with you guys. That's what a member essentially is saying, um, an agreement with our core values and our statement of faith. But membership, it really does, what God does, there's some pretty amazing things that have come out of our church through people who have committed their lives to, to run with us. Another way you might make a step of deeper commitment is by joining a team. And by team, I mean like a, a ministry team or a volunteer team. And we are, uh, we're still a smaller, uh, portable church. And so there's, we, have a, we have some great teams already, and things look pretty put together. Like sometimes you walk in, you're like, wow, this is all put together. But it's actually pretty hard, and we still need a lot of people. <laughs> and um, in fact, even today, like even if you're like, yeah, I'll give that a try, you can even help us stack some chairs after church today and take down some of these curtains and coil some cables and help with the kids' ministry and all that. There's, there's a lot. We, we, we actually do need help, and we would love your help. And um, uh, that, that, you could let us know about that. And then one other way that you might deepen your commitment is by joining a group. And so we have these groups midweek that allow you to get to know people a little bit better and for people to know you, which is kind of scary, you have to share about yourself and actually talk. And, um, you know, that's hard. But there's some amazing things that happen when we begin to, like, deepen our relationships with other people that are following after Jesus at an extremely devoted pace. And um, so wherever you're at right now, if you look at these three things, membership, teams, and groups, how might you increase your devotion? Could you increase your commitment by becoming a member? Could you volu- if you're on a team, could you, could you increase your commitment or your frequency? Or a group, could you increase the priority that it is in your schedule in some way or, or make a determination to open up more? Um, not everybody's able to do all these things based on your life circumstances, and that's all right. But consider and maybe even pray about how, how can I increase my devotion? If someone looks at you and your church involvement is so high that you're kind of like weird or intense, then you're probably on the right track. <laughs> They're like, man, you're like, you're like, you're intense. You're kind of extreme. Like, all right, there we go. I mean, you're, you'd be in good company because I think Peter, prob- you know, people probably looked at Peter and the disciples like that. Like, man, those guys, they left everything. Like, they're, that's unreasonable what they're doing to follow that Jesus guy. And at the time, Jesus hadn't even died and rose again yet. We at least know that he rose again to be the son, you know, the savior of the world. So as this happens, as more people get involved in these ways, I've seen how God is really using this church. It's a, it's a blessing to see that, that God has helped many people experience new life in Jesus through our collective work. I recently got a text message from a family who used to be regular members here, but God has moved them on. And uh, but we got a text message because there was a very significant baptism in the family. And um, so here's what the text message said. I want to share this video with you. They, they sent a video of the baptism. And um, it said, without Valley Lights, we would not be where we are today. I will be forever grateful for Valley Lights and for each of you. I'm sure there's many more stories as well. I can't begin to express my gratitude. And I believe that God intends for our church to have life-altering impact on people, even if they're just passing through. 
I've had, this is not the only time, I've, I've heard other stories from people like this after they've moved on, which is to say nothing of the people who have rooted themselves here. So God is using our body, our church, his church. And in that regard, it doesn't really matter how swollen the head count of people gets here. Church growth can be sort of fickle and deceptive. Um, not always, but it can be. Ultimately, God is in charge of the numbers, and he has given us the incredible privilege of working in his, good, in his kingdom for the good of many people. And the impact is going to cascade for a long time to our kids and their kids and, and yours. And even now, if you're a parent and you've got kids here, our kids are watching God's faithfulness unfold during the hard work of ministry. So if you're teaming with Valley Lights, your work here is worth it. Any sacrifices that you have made have a tie to lives being changed for eternity. And when we get to heaven, you know, for those of us who have made Jesus Lord, you know, he's king and ruler of my life. When, when we get to heaven, we'll step into that glorious kingdom of light will receive an unfading inheritance, will be face-to-face -face with God and our Creator. It'll be so good. It'll be so unbelievable. It'll make you want to say, you got to be kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that gives us the perspective we need for how to live life, how to, and, and, and really the motivation for the understanding of why we ought to sacrifice in Jesus. We know that you are the one that has made the ultimate sacrifice. We couldn't, even, even what we do, what we put on the table is nothing compared to what you've done for us. So would you continue to grow us into, into your likeness? I pray, Lord, that you would help our church to, to just continually help many people experience new life in Jesus. And I pray um, as we wrestle with those things in our heart that we're reluctant to give up, you would, you would give us the grace needed and the help Holy Spirit to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.